for Matthew 6. Okay, that's actually not the one he's going to give in, in Luke 11 here. It's actually a different time too. Uh, and I think it's good you're seeing that. And the reason I'm not going to actually go back to Matthew 6 is because I want you to see it's not a formula. Okay, I'm going to, I want you to see that it's a structure. And Luke is, it's a different point. He's just probably summarizing what Jesus says at another point because he already knows, Matthew's written before, he already knows that the things that Jesus has said, but it's still saying the same thing. It still has the same main ingredients in it. So we're going to look at this um, together. And um, as, as we walk into this, look, I know that no one's sitting in this room going, what? You mean I'm supposed to talk to God? Like whether you're a Christian or not, I know no one in this room is going, if you have any, if, if you're here, you know that we long to talk to him or that God wants to speak to us. We, do, we all know that, we're just not any good at it. Right, so it's not an issue of knowing its importance, it's understanding that we all fall short in this. And so let's together grow and walk. Luke chapter 11, here is what um, Jesus is going to say. And I'm going to read just kind of down to uh, verse 13, but we're going to look at verses 1 to 2. So if you have a Bible, Luke 11, let's just read the prayer and what Jesus says, and then we'll look at the first uh, two verses. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive, as we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Basically, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so amazing, amazing, profound depths. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take verses 1 to 2 and look at basically us appealing to God, God's side of the equation. Next week, verses 3 and 4, kind of what were uh, our side of the equation. And then why those two things give you the reasons to pray boldly. Okay, why understanding verses 1 through 4 enable you to go and actually operate like verses 5 through 13, all right? So let's look at verse 11, 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Okay, so, so right out of the gate, you see the regular flow of Jesus' life is, is getting away in the quiet, communing with the Father, finding a, a space where he can talk and, and have this amazing, undivided time. This is normal life of Jesus. You'll actually see Luke recounts most of Jesus' prayer life. You got almost nine, or you got almost, yeah, nine total. Seven of the nine are in Luke. So, so we've been seeing this, that he'll get away on a mountain to pray. He'll constantly get away, pull back, and have communion with the Father. So this is nothing new to Jesus. This is regular. To Jesus, and the disciples often will hear Jesus pray. Amazing. Like, as, as, as Jesus is praying, they're actually nearby, eavesdropping on the Trinitarian God praying. 
profound. So in one of these circumstances, Jesus is away praying. The disciples basically go up to him and say, hey, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray like you pray? What great learners. We're hearing you pray. Can you teach us how to, how to pray? Now, I want you to see something here. This is, this is so good as they're watching him pray, as they're asking him to do this. You know, John the Baptist had taught some people how to pray as well, so they, they probably heard about that through the grapevine as well. Ooh, John the Baptist taught you also how to commune with the Father, pray with the Father. And here's what's so encouraging about this text. Teach us to pray. Anyone else encouraged by that? This is, this is the disciples who usually kill it. Right? The, even the disciples are laying before us, hey, no matter where you fall or land, even we need to be taught how to pray. How encouraging is that? That even the disciples themselves need to ask, Jesus, help us in this. And actually, if you look throughout the New Testament, you'll be super encouraged to see that the, the Bible repeatedly lay before you that prayer is a labor, that it's hard, that it's difficult. Paul's saying, Romans 15, labor with me in prayer, work at me with prayer, help me in this prayer. Paul's saying that. So guys, you're, you're in good company. Like the disciples, we're all going, man, teach me to pray, Jesus. Help me learn how to pray more. Help me in this. Help guide me in this. Help me have an understanding of this. This is so awesome to see from Jesus. And, and I love, they don't say teach us a prayer. They say teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. Don't teach us the chant. <laughs> teach us the structure. And so Jesus is going to roll out for them. A helpful instruction on our prayer life. So Jesus gives them a model. Jesus says, number one, when you pray, start with Father. You've got to understand, this is, so, this is like a massive shift in redemptive history out of the lips of Jesus. Because up until this point, even the Jewish rabbis would teach that, that man, God was distant. He was far off. He's not really approachable. If you read... The whole Old Testament, unpack the whole Old Testament, you might have 14 times total they appeal to God as Father. Now the reason they appeal to God as Father is more collectively, never individually. Then you get to the New Testament, you have almost 60 times Jesus and Paul and the writers lay out how we can call him Father. So this was frightening to the Jews. They thought Mount Sinai God, like, you know, fire, consuming fire. We can't really intimately get involved. You know, the Day of Atonement, the high priest can do that, but, but not really people who follow him. And so you've got this total cataclysmic shift in us even going before God. Because the veil's been torn in two, we know that's why we have direct access, right, this side of the cross. Jesus is even foreshadowing that in his prayer, that we can actually go to him as Father, and this term father is a term of just endearment, affection, love. It's the same word from Romans 8, Galatians 4, Abba, Daddy. Like, how do you even think about God when you start to pray? This distant, too busy, doesn't care about you, begrudging, just wants to slam the gavel on you, aggressive punitive, how do you see him if you're in Christ? How do you see God, your father? How do you go to him? And Jesus has shown us something profound that you approach him as dad. When you pray, you approach him as daddy. Jesus is showing that the right way to approach a sovereign, eternal, holy God is call him dad, something that is frightening to the Jews, yet God is eager to present himself this way to us. And so Jesus teaches them, don't just listen to me pray to the Father. You can do it too. Now listen, this is an invitation, right? 
Like, like this type of understanding that God is our Father is invitation to pray. It's, hey, you get to pray with the God of the universe who you can approach as dad. Like, you get to do that. Like, that's invitation. And interesting that Jesus chooses, out of all the words he could choose to reveal God, he chooses Father. Okay, you know, that, that, that's huge because you've got so many understandings of what God is like, right? You have the Stoics that believe that God is really just, not, doesn't really feel anything. And then you have the Epicureans that kind of believe that God is a God that just kind of is indifferent in the serenity, that doesn't really have much feeling. You have the, the Deists that kind of believe God is a God that just kind of wound up the world and then just went away and you don't talk to him. But the God of the scriptures is a God that we go to and say, Dad, who's intimate and personal and there's communication. It's, 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 a, it's a mind-blowing understanding when you look at the gods of every other belief system. That the God of the scriptures is like this, is like a father. And I love it because that settles your fear. That settles your hopelessness. That settles your loneliness. It's like Luke 15. I kept thinking about Luke 15 as I was studying this aspect where you see the prodigal son. A lot of you guys are familiar with that story. And it's, it's basically the image of, of God as the father in that story. And the son who rebelled comes back home and he goes, I just want to be your servant, right? I just want to serve you. I, I know what I deserve. So let me just do what you ask. You can just discipline me, tell me what to do, beat me over the head. And what does he say? No way. Man, go get the biggest, fattest animal we have and cook it on the grill and get him a robe, put a ring on his finger. This is my son. We're going to have the party of all parties. We're going to dance all night long and celebrate all night long because he's my son. He's not just a slave. He's not just a servant. He's my son. That's how, that's how we come to God. That's how he's, he sees us in Christ as a son, as a daughter. So Jesus is first rolling out this massive, weighty, beautiful understanding that God's our Father. Now, now here's what I, I need, to, need to say is, is Jesus is revealing this by introductions of our prayers. Um, he's immediately reminding you that you're not lost. You ever feel that way when you're praying? Well, I'm just one of billions of people praying. Like he, he takes notice of you like a good father. He sees you. You're his kid. He pays attention. You're not lost. And, and, and the whole point of, and here's another thing. This might help you if you're brand new to prayer, okay? Some of you might totally disagree with this. I, I firmly believe in this. If, if you're going to learn how to pray, don't just look at like the super ultra religious, get on your mat this many times, burn your knees up. Here's a book on this guy that prayed eight hours in the morning. You need to learn to do that. No, you're going to feel like a loser, okay? That's, that, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? Look at the way a son goes to a good dad. Watch, watch that. Look at the way kids respond to a good father. And let that remind you and point you to the perfect father who is infinitely better and beyond a great father on his best day. Just watch how kids relate to their dad. A joyful, happy, delighting in their kid's dad. That's really helped me learn how to pray. When I see that, I take note of that. And remember that it's pointing me to a father who's even much better and more profound and more loving and more unbound than even that great dad on a great day. Be watchful of that. Now here's what's beautiful. In each of these things, Jesus is also maybe showing you what a hindrance to your prayer life is. 
So in him showing you and revealing to you that God is a good dad who we call Abba, Father, who we approach whenever we like with all of our wants, cares, anxieties, needs, who, who loves us, who cares for us. Maybe one of your biggest hindrances to praying is because you genuinely have no idea of the true affection God has for you as a dad. You totally misunderstand God's affection for you as his son and daughter. Now, I know from meeting with many of you, many of you grew up without a dad, or your situation was if you just obeyed him and did what he wanted, then there was this delicate peace, everything was okay, and if you ever said anything, if you ever came in the room and tried to pastor him or tried to say hi to him, it was like, get away from me, and I want to know that you're there, I want to do my thing, I'm too busy, I'm a workaholic, I'm, right? So, so what happens is, is you got this idea in your head of your earthly father, and you pin it on the God who's infinite in grace, love, mercy, kindness, and it's very hard for you to see him as Abba. And so maybe you don't really, you're not even longing to go talk to him because the understanding you have in your mind of going to talk to a dad was immediate discipline, immediate aggression, immediate just un- unawareness of you. And I'm telling you, that's the exact opposite that Jesus teaches in the scriptures. That your dad is nothing like that who is your father in heaven. That's a beautiful, beautiful understanding and an amazing, amazing reality. And, and, and I was reading a text just, just last night, and maybe some of you guys have heard it in, in Zephaniah 3, and this is, we don't understand that God delights in us. And I was literally reading this last night, and I was like, this is like blowing my mind. So it's not on the screen. Here's what it says in Zephaniah 3, verse 15, and, and it starts with revealing to you that he's taken away all your judgments, Okay. He's removed him in Christ. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgment against you, has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst and shall reign and shall never again fear evil. Go down to 17. He's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Like, like this is the God of the Bible towards those who are his. He actually sings over you. He actually delights in you. He doesn't shout at you. He shouts over you. Everybody say, yeah, I know. He just screams at me. No, you didn't read it right. He's delighting in you. Proverbs 15 says that, that God actually delights in the prayers of his children. Do you know that when you talk to God, he loves it. It warms his heart. Like, how do you think about prayer? This is huge what Jesus is showing. And here's the thing. When you understand this about God, you don't run from him, you run to him. Because who do little children run to? What type of parents? What type of adults? Those who are fearful and aggressive? No, those who are unbound, delighting in them. Your sons, if you have sons or daughters, love running to you when they see your delight in them. They love coming to you. That's the picture that we're getting here. And this is why I think maybe a big reason some of us lack a desire to pray is we equate our understanding of our earthly dad with our heavenly dad. So as we come to him, so this is the one part we come to him as father, as Abba, as daddy, we come to him as a loving dad, and then we say, hallowed be your name. I love this. This is such an interesting, seeming contradiction. So, so what, what Jesus is teaching is just as you're able to eagerly approach him, run into his bedroom and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I need your help. I need your guidance. I'm, I'm throwing all my anxieties, all my cares, you're placing everything at his feet. Hey, you got to remember who you're talking to. Right? 
Amazing. So just to protect you from getting too casual, from warming up to dad, just staying snuggled in his snuggie with him, right, you also learn that, man, this God is holy. Hallowed, just is another word for holy. He's sacred. He's set apart. He's unlike anything you've ever spoken to or communed with. So he's saying, hold on, you also have to have a right understanding of who you're speaking to in my character, in my name, in my personality. I love this. God is tender and he is ferocious. God is soft and he is sacred. You have both of these. And I love it. Jesus protects us from only appealing to him as dad, as Abba, as father. He says, hey, and and in that, which is right and good, still remember the respect, the reverence of the one you're speaking to. His name is to be hallowed. So what's happening here is we're understanding the massive weight and worth and beauty of the one we're speaking to. And really you're also in saying his name, hallowed be his name, you're ascribing just total trust in who you're talking to because you know what he's like. That's why if you read the Bible, there are so many names for God, right? Now, now God, just, just even saying that is just a title of all of who he is. It's summing up the totality of his essence, of his nature, of his being. So you have all these different names in the scripture, right? You have Elohim, which is creator. You have El uh, something else, which is like God of most high. You have Jehovah Jireh, which is God who provides. You have Jehovah Rapha, which is God who heals. You have Jehovah Ra, which is the good shepherd. You have Adonai, which is king, ruler. We go on and on and on with all the names that God's given. You just sang his his name is hallowed. He has infinite character, infinite beauty that is so weighty and glorious we can't even understand it. So as we talk to him, we also remember the weight of his name. I mean, the Jews would actually not even say his name. They took this pendulum all the way to the other side, wouldn't even say his name because they thought he was so holy and so unapproachable. They would switch around vows and say we can't even say the name of God. And he's showing us we can approach this sovereign, holy, omnipotent God. Now, how much does that blow your mind that you can come to this hallowed God as dad? The ruler of everything is your dad. The one who's sacred and set apart and holy is also your dad. An amazing thing he's, he's showing here. And so here's another thing that we're saying when we come to him and say, hallowed be your name. You're you're kind of basically making your prayer God-centered. It's the first thing we always do. Let your name, your renown, your greatness be seen, exalted in, reveled in, joyed, marveled at. That's where we start. I'm going to you as dad, knowing I can approach you, knowing there's no hindrances, no ties. And I'm immediately confronted with who you are, so I'm going to praise your name, glorify your name, have reverence for who I'm speaking to in my prayer. Knowing that your name is to be hallowed. I think this might reveal another hindrance to prayer in our lives. It might simply be your pride. Because I think most of us in this room buy the the illusion of control. You don't realize that God's name is hallowed, that he is ruler, that he is sustainer, that, that by essence of who he is, He has the fullest of sufficiency, and we have none. And so you buy the lie that you can 
change your circumstances, that you can correct things, that you can keep everything in order, that you don't need his full sufficiency. You don't need a God who is hallowed by his very nature. And, and I, think we, I think we see this, this all over. I was thinking about this this week, actually, because I went in a bookstore, and I'm always confronted that in a bookstore. Um, I think the world and culture around us does nothing but bolster your confidence that you're totally self-sufficient, and you have no need of anyone or anything. So just go into a bookstore, right? You can go from health to exercise to marriage. You just read the books. All the books are going to say, if you want something to turn out this way, do this. If you want something to turn out this way, do this, Right? Two plus two doesn't always equal four. That's the lie we believe, that it does equal four. And so instead of kind of walking in good marriage where there is good, healthy, I will love you, I will serve you regardless of your spouse, it's fill his love tank, I'll fill mine. Hey, if you love him, he'll respect me. You have this kind of do wants when that is a manipulation that is self-serving. That is nowhere in the scriptures of the gospel formed by I will love you, do for you regardless of me. So now you've got law driving your marriage, law driving your life. Grace doesn't drive your marriage. Grace doesn't drive your life. So we buy the lie that culture and society spit out at us saying, hey, you are self-sufficient. You know how to do this. You know how to organize this. You don't need God. You don't need to appeal to him. You don't need to be desperate. This is what prayer does for us. This is why we have to. Like you don't have an option. Because there's two things that it does here in prayer, understanding his name is hallowed. It shows the complete sufficiency of God and the total helplessness of man. Because you're immediately remembering who you're speaking to and who you are. My name's not hallowed. Yours is. Hold on, let me remember the one that I'm talking to in this moment, the one who has endless resources, who is infinite in wealth, who is infinite in glory. Jesus wants your heart to be there. He wants you to remember that. He wants you to see that. He wants you to feel the weight and glory of what you are speaking to. And so when we do that, we realize that we are in desperate need of that full sufficiency. <laughs> right? I mean, you realize, man, I am, now, now, here's the lie. We think that we're only in certain seasons of our life desperate, right? Here's the truth. We're always desperate, right? Like, I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest lie. I was thinking about that this week. I mean, imagine if, if you were standing before the God of the universe. You were, you were speaking to him and you could see him, okay? You, we were there and you were having this communication and you remembered, wait, the one I'm speaking to is the one who's letting me form words right now. Right? I mean, the one who's letting me see him is the one who can shut off my eyesight right now. Right? I mean, your prayers, I mean, you speaking to God, you realize, man, even in this moment of speaking to him, I'm totally helpless. Like, he's even letting me pray to him right now. I mean, you would be so keenly aware that you are always desperate. And so we have stuff, we have money, we have comforts, we have all these things that we just kind of put band-aids on ourselves saying, I don't need to pray, I don't need to plead, I don't need to cry out because I'm somehow good. On your best, most wealthy day, you're desperate. Do you understand that? And if you don't understand that, you'll never pray. If you don't understand that his name is hallowed and the weight of who he is, you'll never pray. You'll never cry out. That's what Jesus is helping us see here. And so here is what is great. This protects us from being overly casual and overly fearful. 
right? We need both. Some of you need to remember him more as dad. You just see him as punishing and punitive. You need to remember that you can go and you can talk and it's a joint. Others of you need to be reminded that he is holy and weighty and sacred. You've been treating him casually. And then Jesus rightly follows it up with this. Your kingdom come. After you have understood how you can approach him as father, and you don't get too casual, and then you have the weight and glory of his name, that his name is hallowed, that his name is holy, that his name is sacred and set apart, then you say, hey, you do whatever you want. Your kingdom come. That's the ultimate goal. Now let's just, as you celebrate intimacy with God as dad, as you come to him, understanding the weight and worth and beauty of his name, you then look at him and say, do whatever advances your kingdom. Do whatever pleases your infinite perfect will first. You rule, you reign, your kingdom come. I, this is a lot to, to draw from Matthew 6, right? On earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is the heart cry of every believer, is it not? I mean, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Man, he came to ransom and seek and save those who are lost. So we are holy rebels. We are praying against the tide of culture, against the tide of society. We, we want to pray that God would use us for his kingdom to come now. Man, I want now on this earth it to be like it will be in heaven. I want people to know you and enjoy you and talk to you and commune with you and be saved by you. I want all of those things now, just like it'll be one day in heaven. Now, we know one day he will fully rule and reign as king, as conqueror, as lord, and it will be perfect. We long for that now. Right? We long to see that now. So God, would you save? Would you push back injustice? Would you pull back darkness? Would you enter and save people from sin and Satan and death? Would we be good ambassadors of reconciliation? Would you help us to live in light of how you want us to live? I mean, we are pleading for that. That's the, that's the cry of our hearts. Your kingdom come. But here's the you really want that right so let's be honest because i know we're always like man i just genuinely i know all christmas i can't wait till man we're, we're in heaven it's done away with this we got jesus and he's going to rule perfectly right it's going to be the perfect ruler there'll be perfect peace there'll be perfect everything do you really want that now i i know that you in a sense, you're like, yeah, I do. But do you really want him ruling over you and reigning over you? Because here's the funny thing, right? We live in a day and age, regardless of what ruler is up there, we just criticize the heck out of him, right? Bush stinks, Obama stinks, whoever's next, he stinks, I mean, it, or she stinks. I mean, you're just, that's what you're going to say, right? Now, now it sags. Instead of praying for them and praying God would work in that and use that, we just grumble, complain, criticize, right? That's another, another time. So, so here's, here's what we need to do. We need to realize that if Jesus came today and he ruled and reigned, would you like it? Right, if he, I mean, if he was the one who was president, he told you, hey, here's how you spend your money, here's how you live in your marriage, here's would you really like it? Do you really want his kingdom to come? Do you really want his will to be done above yours? You're appealing to that in your prayers before. Here's what's amazing, you haven't even asked for anything yet. Right? That's next week. 
after we confess some sin, you are at a place where you're so caught up in his beauty, in his worth, in who he is as God, and what his redemptive plan is, and what his infinite pleasing will is, that you haven't even asked for anything yet. You're almost okay right here. Are you not, right? I mean, you're, you're almost okay just enjoying him, just seeing him, just reveling in the character. I can't believe he's my dad. I can't believe that I'm in this new family. I can't believe that his name is sacred and hallowed and weighty and beautiful. Man, he's got a massive kingdom. It's going to reign. It's going to rule. He's going to permanently do it with Satan and demons and sin and death and sickness. And you almost don't even need to ask for anything. Like, you almost don't even need to continue your prayer. Almost, right? Jesus has our hearts at a really good place right now in the ways that we pray. So do we really want Jesus to rule and reign? Do your prayers show that you want his kingdom to come? Or or do most of your prayers, are you bossing him around? Telling him what your kingdom should look like? That's hard. Right? And, and you have your ideas of, well, well, God, this is what fair is like to me. So you come under my definition of fairness, and then we'll be good. Instead of, hold on, you have a definition of fairness. You have a definition of justice. You have a definition of sin and holiness and how things work and operate. So I'm going to submit to your kingdom how you've laid it out. And I'm going to walk in that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What's the posture of your heart? As you approach him. And here's what this does. I think it exposes the idolatry in all of us. Right? I mean, mean, look. I mean, if you have any capacity to think right now, right? The wheels are turning and revealing right now, Christian or not, the idolatry that exists in you, if there is a God, those of us who believe there is a God, that whatever that thing is that we want, if we don't get it, we'll be angered, and we really have no consideration for the name and renown of his, name, of his glory. We don't care about his name being hallowed. He really isn't central. It's really just what we want. It's just our requests, right? So that exposes that there are many other things that are ultimate in your heart other than him just by starting out in your prayers. Instead of laying those and saying, you're a good dad, you're a good father, I can trust you, I'm giving these to you, I'm trusting you, I'm appealing to who you are, your name is sacred, you're set apart, you're nothing like my earthly father, my earthly parents, you are infinitely good in all that you do, your kingdom's gonna come, your kingdom's gonna advance, you have a perfect pleasing plan, I trust that. He just wants your heart there. He wants your mind there. Because a lot of us say, this is what I deserve. I want to see it play out this way. And we really have no consideration for his name and renown. Really not even thinking about his, his hallowedness. We're really thinking about his kingdom that will come. I heard a guy, I can't get it out of my head, refer to God as a cosmic vendor. I feel like that's how we pray. And then when it doesn't come out right, you start shaking the machine. You know what I mean? Dang it, you know you're just trying, you're shaking, you're like, man, this thing isn't even coming out, man. That's what I paid for, that's what I asked for. I just put my chips in. You're supposed to give me Doritos, right? And you're sitting there shaking it, getting aggressive and angry. God's going, that's not at all who I am or what I'm like. I, I, 
Everything in the machine is perfect, and I'll give it to you when I need to give it to you. It'll come down when it needs to come down. You can trust me. So a great question that needs to be asked this morning is, what are the motives behind your asking? I just want you to think about that for a second as you pray. What are the, what are the motives behind your asking? Like as you get on your knees and start, or as you're in the car, as you're at community group, or as you're at corporate prayer, or as you're at you know, the office, or as you're at the playground with your kids, whenever you pray, what's the motive of your heart? Some of us need to confess we have real no interest in Jesus and his name being hallowed or his kingdom coming. We just want what we want. And this reveals, I think, a final possible hindrance to our prayers. And that is that we are completely unaware, completely unaware of the spiritual war. And that's why we don't pray. Um, because our God, who's a father, who's hallowed, who has a kingdom, is a king of that kingdom. And his kingdom has aggressive assault against it daily. Right? You got Satan and his demonic forces that hate God's work, hate God's family. And you got from the beginning of time when you got the leader of the angels, Lucifer, who did not like God's glory, who rebelled against that. A third of the angels God cast out because he is ruler over all of that. He says, hey, I'm going to create hell for all of your demons and all your followers, right? Everyone who ultimately doesn't be saved by Jesus, we're all going into that eternal torment. So until then, even though Satan knows he will be crushed, he will be fully done away with. God will not be held back. He's not kind of wondering how it's going to work out. Until then, all they can do is assault you. And they hate God's work and they hate God's family. So you are not led to pray because you do not think there's imminent danger. You do not think there's imminent threat. You do not think that this kingdom that's coming is just going to walk in the park with no onslaught. Right? So you don't pray over your marriage. You don't pray over your kids. You don't, I mean, how do you think parents are praying for their 19-year-old in Afghanistan behind a machine gun? who are taking shots every single day. Why do they get on their knees and beg for protection, beg for deliverance? Because they see the imminent threat of danger. And so we don't go and cry out. We don't plead because, let's just be honest, we don't believe that it's real and we don't believe it's heavy and we don't believe it's weighty. And I tell you, he has pulled the wool over probably most of our eyes going, yeah, just keep going. You're doing great. You don't need to pray. You need to cry out. You need to ask for protection. And even in that, you're falling prey. Your marriage is becoming untethered. Your kids are wandering. Your love for Jesus is dwindling. Your love for gathering has been removed. There's no need to pray, though. And if you took a deeper look with a deeper scope, you might start to see that's not the truth. I think the reason many of us also don't pray is we, don't th- we think that this kingdom just walks through and God has asked us to pray and plead and beg. We don't really believe there are demonic forces that are after us. I think we just think it's peacetime, right? Because in wartime you pray, right? Peacetime, you just sit back, put your feet up, watch TV, you know, lazy boy, eat chips. I mean, right? Like, you don't need to pray. And let me just confess, last couple weeks, Kristen and I, Unfortunately, we were driven to pray so much more so because we thought we were in a more desperate season. Fasted and prayed last week from specific things, started making a, a new patterns, and I'm telling you how the, what God is doing in us 
and in our hearts and in how we see things and how we understand and discern and the peace. And the, I'm, it's just, and I'm, I'm, and I'm a pastor learning to pray still, learning to realize that I am desperate daily, regardless of the season I'm in. And God is constantly showing me his sufficiency that I can go to him as dad, that his name is hallowed, and that he's got a kingdom coming, and it's gonna have onslaught. I, two weeks ago, literally, literally, I know the way to describe it, satanic onslaught. Well, God actually woke up an elder, and he wrote me the next day and wouldn't let him go back to sleep till he stopped praying for me. This is real. This is so real. And, and hear me, the second you start pursuing Jesus, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to join corporate prayer. Yeah, I think I'm going to come at 9 a.m. Yeah, watch. Just watch. Right? Yeah, you know what? In our marriage, we're going to start, just watch. Oh, the TV show. Oh, you know what? Someone just called. Oh, you know we have so-and-so over. Oh, you know what? I think we should just do this. We'll do that tomorrow. Or I'll do it next month. You know, I'll do corporate prayer next month. I'll, just watch. Watch. And, just, and then be aware of it and put it to death. And fight the battle by faith. Let me just ask us these three things, maybe for us, looking at the text as we lay in the plane. What are the hindrance to you really pressing into the Lord in prayer? Um, is it your pride? You thinking that you control everything, get everything worked out? You forget that you're helpless and need his sufficiency? Are you just mindless of the spiritual war that's before you? Have, have you forgotten or do you not know that God delights in you as his son and daughter? that he's dad, that you can call to him and speak to him anytime? What are hindrance to you? We're, we're gonna see more as we go through these number of weeks and we're gonna see more of the glory and weight of prayer, but, but just start there. Is God revealing anything? And, and here's where we see the gospel in this, right? We have a God who is father, we are not in that family. He is a dad to all of those who are his. And, and we have the onslaught of Satan that, that, that hates this father. And here's the thing. The Bible will teach you, actually, there are two fathers. God the father and then Satan. He's called the father of lies. Jesus actually called him a father. So you got two families, two dads. You can live under the Satan of demonic influence or the kingdom of light, be out of the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of light. And God is a good father. Jesus is an awful father. He deceives, he destroys, he manipulates, he changes. He just wants death and destruction for you. So God in his mercy gets his hands dirty. Like God's not a dad who just is ignore, ignorant of it, just keeps walking. He sees you in your sin, in that family that will destroy, that will lead to destruction, where it is Satan's sin and death that has you captive. And he says, hey, I'm going to have my son Jesus slaughtered for you to take the wrath towards you in that sin, in your imprisonment, to that sin, in your place as a substitute. I'm going to rip you out of that. Even though you were hallowing your own name, didn't want to hallow my name, you were belittling my name, you had treason against the universe, the God of all things, even in all of that, you not see me is sacred, set apart in rebellion. I grabbed you and put you in my kingdom, adopted you as my own, that kingdom that will come, that will last, that will push through, and you are loved by me as a dad. I mean, that's what the gospel does for us. I mean, you see just in the first three verses of this prayer that, that that's how Jesus pursued you in love as you were helpless. He showed mercy and affection that is divine, that is otherworldly, 
You said, I'll rescue from your imprisonment to that. And some of you didn't even know you were following and under a different father. And you thought he had good intentions for you. And you thought he had good news for you. And you thought he was for you. You know, I really think that we can grow in this area. Just pastor to members. I just think in prayer we can grow in this area. I've just been praying this week that God would do something in us, that we would be a people that are marked by prayer, that we would realize that we can't just sit around passively and wait for things to happen, that we have to ask and go before and plead and acknowledge who he is and acknowledge that we are totally helpless and he is totally sufficient for salvation of sinners, for sanctifying our souls, for advancing his kingdom, for using this church. And it's so providential, right? I mean, we're, we're weeks away from moving and God has us in the Lord's Prayer to say, he's always saying something. Like, don't think you're just gonna coast down to Pramus and then you're gonna be there and it's gonna be honky-dory and work out. Like, get, if there's any time to be on your knees as a family, not just individually, it's now. I mean, it's always, but it's now. I mean, so amazing, Wednesday's corporate prayer. That's interesting. I didn't plan this out. It shows you how bad I am at planning. I never could have planned this out. That we start the Lord's Prayer, of corporate prayer on Wednesday. Look, I get schedules, I get demands. You cannot do without prayer. You can't. So listen, there's lanes. There's things that we have. I mean, there, there are ways that, and, and here's the amazing thing. You've got the disciples hearing Jesus pray, and that's how they're learning how to pray. You know one of the best ways to learn how to pray is listening to other people pray? So maybe, maybe you come Wednesday to corporate prayer, you don't pray, but you just listen to other people pray and you learn. Not because they're holy or they say righteous things that you don't. That's how I learned to pray. I would literally sit. I remember with my youth pastor, I would just sit and listen to him pray. How he talked to God. To learn how to pray. Because I was new. I didn't really know. Even though I'd been a Christian, I didn't really know what to say or what that looked like. 9 a.m. Every Sunday morning, we gather across the hallway to ask God to show up here. Join us at 9 a.m. Don't think this stuff's just going to magically happen on Sunday morning. Get out early. Carpool, switch off with your spouse. I don't know what it means for you. And I'm saying this because it's for your delight. It's for your joy. I'm telling you, there's nothing sweeter for me than Wednesday nights, last Wednesday nights of the month, being with whoever shows up to corporate prayer and just, just being with the family of God and hearing them pray. I mean, I, I leave often with tears in my eyes, leaving down the street from Vic and, Nitty's, Vic and Marissa Nitty's house. And, and just seeing people who I never met before, I just see kind of a sea of faces and they come and I hear them pray. Wow, man, that's in their heart, that's beautiful. Wow, that's how they, their affections are for God or that's what God is leading them through, that's beautiful. And guys, we've seen God do great things here. I'm not belittling that. But there's more to be seen. There's more to be had. God's a huge God. And we're crazy and we've bought the lie of deceit from the father of lies if we think we don't need to. Community groups, you guys pray together there. Pay attention to that time. Make more time for it, right? I don't know what that looks like for you. Let me just encourage you. No one stumbles into a life of prayer. Okay? Like, you got to understand that. Like, no one wakes up one morning just praying constantly through the Psalms. Man, I can't believe it. There is discipline. There is walking. Just like, you don't wake up in godliness. 
Right? It's discipline. It's getting your face at Jesus' feet. It's praying. It's seeking. It's gathering. It's sitting under the preached word. It's walking in the light with other believers. Like No one just wakes up one day just loving Jesus and doing good works and understanding the things of God. It takes time. So be careful that you see people with a great prayer life or great devotional life or great, you don't see the decades behind them. So don't just take the snapshot going, well, I'm not there, so I'm going to give up. No, let's start walking. Let's start walking. Let's start showing up. Let's start just practically baby steps so that God might grow us up in the word and in the ways that we pray and talk to God. You're not just going to stumble into it. If you think one morning you're just going to wake up and all of a sudden it's just going to happen and click, you'll never get there. Let's just ask God to help. Let's ask God to do this. And, and I just, you know, there's so much of praying in the service, right? I mean, singing songs are prayer, right? The word is prayer. I mean, literally sitting and speaking is prayer. These are all aspects of prayer. Why don't you, as I pray, you pray too. You pray to the Father. And ask God to do this. Ask God to create in us as a people a delight in prayer, a longing for prayer. I'm with you in this as your pastor. I am right alongside you. You are in good company. I'm not killing it. I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. with my knees on the rug and my face in the dirt. But I'm growing in it. And I'm learning about it. God, would you help us as a people? Would you help us in our families, in our marriages, with our children. Would you help us, Father, as a people who are totally helpless, in desperate need of your full sufficiency. Forgive us for understanding it any other way. God, just like a good dad loves to hear from his kids individually, he loves to hear from them as a family, how the family's doing, what the family needs. Thank you that you know what we need before we even ask. But God, just this morning, will we sit in that you are dad, that your name is hallowed, and your kingdom will come, and you will rule and reign. May those be true things of our hearts as we understand you. How would you move in us to pray corporately more, to pray together more? As we meet for coffee or, or meetings, will we, will we never leave if we haven't prayed? God, would you make us keenly aware of our desperate position? Thank you that you're infinite in wealth and infinite in riches and infinite in glory and that you're our dad that has all of those things to dispose at any time he wants. May the very character of your name give us trust in the one who we pray to. Father, we're asking, would you continue to teach us? Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Thank you for your constant mercy towards us in this way. Father, keep us humble. Keep us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love to...